your home for IRS stuff, I guess. I'm Nathan, your most 1099 host. I'm Andy, and I totally had something for this, and I completely forgot it. <laughs> Man, ain't that a... Oh my well, god, I just totally blanked. I'm I'm Pat, your most rob from the rich and give to the poor host. Maybe. Oh man, it had something to do, I don't know, it was really clever, so just think of something funny and assume I came up with it. <laughs> there we go, we'll, we'll, put a fa- we'll put a mini fact check in there. <laughs> How are you guys doing? You know, not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not you great. guys know... It's it's been a rough uh, couple of weeks for Nathan, at least from an adjacent standpoint. I don't want to I don't want to make too much of it or spend too much time on it. But I talked about a bunch of people in the last episode who were close to death, and uh, two of the three people I talked to are no longer with us, and it's been very rough. I, I'm happy I've been able to support. My family and um, be there for them a little bit in the last couple of weeks, but we're recording this a week after we had planned on recording it because honestly, normally I think of myself as a robot, like emotion, like just like sort of slides over me. But man, I the these two deaths hit me way harder than I thought they they would. I like. It's the first time in a long time that I can remember, like, feeling physical discomfort from the amount of stress um, I had going on. So, but my family has been great. I, I thank you guys offline, but I really appreciate you guys have been great. Um, and I feel like I've been able to help out and, and be there for other people, which has been really nice. So, yeah, man. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. How's how's the family holding up? I, I think as... As good as can be expected, that that dark humor I was talking about last week has certainly gone into hyperdrive, and it's I mean it's helpful, and it's it's weird because there's so many other things that come out of it. Like you want to be able to spend the time just grieving, and like I'm not in like I'm not in direct succession for anything from any of these people, nor would I want it. But being on the sidelines, it's interesting how much like you have to step back from the grieving process to deal with people who want money out of the situation who are trying to like grab stuff, not because it has some sort of like uh, sentimental value, but because it has some sort of like actual cash value that they can sell. It's wild. So I've just been thinking about all the other stuff that goes along with death um, that you have to deal with. That isn't just like, being able to step back, take a breath, and and mourn your loved ones. I I have to say it is it is easier to be a kid in the room who doesn't have to worry about those things and can just focus mostly on grief, rather than be an adult who has to sit at the table and be one of the people to like administer those kind of things. Like I don't I don't know if your role is is very big in like watching the like administration of estates or anything, but yeah, I mean like you described, I mean it can be a big mess. Oh yeah. No, luckily I don't have to do I don't have to do pretty much any of that. I've just been trying to give uh general helpful advice if I can. And uh like on a lot of stuff that I really don't know that much about. Yeah. We, um, I think, I 
think I want to say it was in May 2017, so about four years ago now, might have been 18. Caitlin's friend, close friend, Bruce, an older fella, but he was, I think, in his 60s, but he died, um, and his brother was not able to be contacted. He just never, ever returned a phone call to the state or anything, so it was ended up getting off to Caitlin. Um, we are hoping to finish selling everything off and settling everything before our wedding this August, but that is not looking like likely. So, you know, and part of the reason for that is because he did not have a will. So to anyone, you know, over the age of 18, have, have a will if you can. Um, it's not, I don't believe it's very expensive to to get one drafted up and just have something there on file with a lawyer or something in the event of your death, um, or give it to someone, a family member who will know where it is because it is painful. It leaves scars. It means that the, the last four years, instead of just fondly remembering Bruce and, and missing him and thinking about him at holidays and stuff, instead it's like a daily, even sometimes, grind of oh gotta do this gotta do that and that's not how you want to be remembered and and on that subject like living wills are kind of important too i mean you might not think that you're ever going to be comatose in a hospital somewhere technically brain dead or anything but it happens to some people and you can save your your family and maybe yourself a lot of grief if uh if you have a living will. So it's, it's a messy subject that not a lot of people think about, but right. I, I don't mean, I didn't mean to turn like two episodes <laughs> in a row and like huge bummers, but I will say like my, my dad, my dad died about 13 years ago now. And I cannot tell you what a gift it was to know what the hell he wanted. We, we knew exactly what he wanted. If, this happened in the hospital and if this happened and instead of us having to make the choice we just got to fulfill his wishes which is an entirely different thing but that's not what we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) andy how is how's your week going uh it depends on what i'm focusing on at the moment (laughs) Um, Mm. so things like kind of in my life Things near me and around me are pretty great. Um, my first niece turned one today, Lucy. Lucy nice. Jane. Congrats. Um, yes. Thank Happy you. birthday, Lucy. My first blood niece, because I have, you know, we, we always called them um, relatives of, of the heart, but like, you know, pseudo family members, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, uh, so I have a few like nieces and nephews that are a little bit older, um, but but my first blood niece and my second one will be turning one in like a few weeks. So um, that's great. Um, work is going well. I got my first shot. Caitlin got our first got. We both got our first uh, Pfizer shot. Hell yeah. Where things are. <laughs> it looks like the vaccine might be able to beat out the bulk of the stupid. <laughs> herd, herd immunity. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, like, also, I kind of, like, look out the proverbial window to around the world, and I see, like, we are bombing Syria again, and Myanmar 
is having a coup and Belarus is having, I guess, a weird contested election, maybe? It feels like the world is returning back to the normal of still burning down around our eyes. And so, like, there's this sort of feeling of dread <laughs> that pervades everything <laughs> in my life. Jeez. But 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 Andy Andy uh, Trump isn't president anymore, so everything's good so now, there's right? A, there's less tweets to get upset about, which means we c- it's easier to see all of the other horrible that's going on. So like, but here's the thing. Um, I think uh, there's. I'm trying not to. I can't. I can't change world governments right now. So. You know, maybe one day I'll have that sort of power, God forbid. Not with that attitude. But, like, until then, I just, I can't, I have, I I can try to make my own life better. Uh, And, you know, our podcast is going great. Um, India is surging again. Thank you, India. We love you. Namaste. Love you, India. For real. Let us, like, I want to know what you guys want to hear about in India. If you're listening to this podcast already... What is it that you're like hoping that we talk about? Yeah, hit us, hit us um, on Twitter, hit us in emails, and, hit us wherever you can. Um, otherwise, just you know, um, I'm getting married in a few months, and so like I'm just focusing on that stuff. My my, I'm gonna have sort of in lieu of a bachelor party, there'll be like a minor little celebration um, with some people like the Thursday before the wedding, but. Um, in lieu of like kind of a big, big time bachelor party, I'm taking myself on like a little road trip on a weekend, some weekend, and I'm gonna go visit some old college friends and um, have a weekend on the road. That's awesome. You don't want to you don't want to participate in that long standing tradition of sitting in a room and getting boners with your friends. I don't. <laughs> I so I'm I want I I'm down with like having a bachelor party in the sense of like having a party with all of like, or, you know, a a half a dozen of my best guy friends. I think that sounds like fun. Um, but I don't need it to, I don't need to, it's not like a checklist where, Oh, do these things. I, I just, I want to like, have you, have you guys watched, um, parks and recreation? Sure. A little bit. I love parks and recreation. When Ben and Leslie are getting married and Ben is having their, they're having Ben's bachelor party, they're like, what do you want to do? And he wants to play like board games. They're playing Settlers of Catan. And like, that sounds freaking great. That and like with like steaks and cigars and whiskey as well. But like, that sounds awesome. That's a great time to me. So. Oh, yeah. And the idea of like that I only want to have a party with my male friends is such a weird like I, I yeah like I I just I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I whatever. The history of marriage is is like a whole thing that I have all sorts of varied problems with. But uh also I'm looking forward to it. Well, we should do an episode about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you know about uh pre prima nocta Oh, that's uh, that's when the lord of the the area gets to take your wife uh, the night before the wedding. Is that right? Yeah. 
<laughs> it's uh it's not been done in a long time, but um So stay away from the Lord of Clueful Knights. <laughs> I would I would <laughs> I'm just saying I would check your rental agreement really carefully. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Pat, how was your week? I'm good. Um, so my, my week's been good. Uh, so I have been off work. I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast at all, but I've been off work for a little while. I had hurt my knee. And um, for a while, I mean, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to get in trouble or anything. But like for a while, it had been like, you know, it was difficult to bill things and like insurance companies. And I wasn't approved for uh, like physical therapy and stuff. I got approved for the physical therapy. I went to my first session today, so that is exciting and good. Um, I feel like I'm getting stronger, getting more healthy. And I went back to work. I did um, driving and had somebody with me to do a lot of the lifting and stuff. So I'm I'm happy. I'm glad to be getting out of the house and doing something again. I get to be outside. So, um, yeah, I mean, things are going pretty great on that front. Um, it's been a long time of just like sitting in the house without a lot to do. Um, and anytime you can get a break from that, it's nice. Um, a couple of people that I know you guys mentioned vaccines, um, I should really talk to them and, and discourage this position, but a couple of people that I know said, they are not going to get the vaccine for various reasons. One person, and I'm not going to like name names or anything, but one person said they don't like needles. And I'm like, oh my too God. bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. So, I mean, I probably should take proactive steps to be like, um, that's a bad take. <laughs> you should really just get it anyway. Um, but yeah, I yeah, mean, I have I have little to no patience for those people. It'll be nice when it's like eighty percent plus eighty ninety ninety five percent uh herd immunity, because at that point, um, there might be a few isolated cases, but most of the like danger, most of the like pandemic qualities. Um, really subside and it's really hard to reproduce for the virus. Yeah, herd immunity, herd immunity happens somewhere around like 60 to 70 percent. So mm -hmm. once you get up into the 80s, you're really in good shape. Um, and then we can start protecting even the dumbest people like, among us. Right, the people <laughs> whose defense basically boils down to a wordy version of <laughs> wordy version of but Obama. But, Obama. but to be fair, but to be fair, the guy who doesn't like needles, he has had it before, so he has antibodies, even though those only last for a certain amount of time. It's it's not a good take. I should I should broach that conversation <laughs> yeah. with him again. But at any rate, but today we are talking about everybody's favorite taxes. Taxes. We're talking about. Uh... Herd immunity from social issues and streets falling into disrepair. Oh, you missed you missed the opportunity to say social ills. Ah, darn it! Social illness. It was right there in front of you. So I I think I had been the one to broach the subject because, uh, and we've only had like very surface level conversations about this. I think in passing before, but I think you both have like 
slightly off kilter. Uh, no, no, I don't even say that. Uh, you have non-traditional views on taxes. Uh, I would say, well, Andy, you, Andy, you are a libertarian, so. I mean, I'll begrudgingly accept that title, but I think it bears some explanation. Right, and that's the thing, and that's the thing. I do not want to put words in, uh, into either of your mouths at all. I just, like, and this is not an episode. There are episodes where I have a certain point of view, and, <laughs> like, I try and uh, bait you guys into uh, me winning an argument. And this is not one of these episodes. <laughs> this is not one of those episodes. Well, thanks for admitting like, that genuinely- that's how you view our discourse. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and you guys, don't get me wrong, you guys are going to win one one of these days. I believe in both of you. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe right. today is that day. So what I would say is, for, uh, first of all, yes, I was formerly a, a, an actual member of the Libertarian Party for all of about 18 months. Um. It is not a place that, like, that I was going to um, grow. Uh, so, I don't necessarily want to go in uh, in detail about that uh, right now. But the the libertarian, like, position, and to be clear, I am not saying that this is my position. This is the libertarian position or, or, or their mantra really is that taxation is theft. And so what they mean by that is that you are essentially paying under penalty of jail at gunpoint, basically. Like they will, if you don't pay your taxes, what do they do? They come and arrest you and put you in jail. So there, that's the threat. It's, it's not, quite as dramatic as a as an alleyway robbery but ultimately it's pay us or else and so what i would say my position here is is that taxation could be defined as theft it can be seen that way that is a valid way to look at it but i don't think it's a very productive way to look at it and so that's not like it does not that that philosophy is not does not govern my approach to, or my, my thinking on, on taxes and, and different types of tax policy. But I don't deny that uh, taxation f- does fit the definition of theft. Hmm. So um, this is going to probably sound very boring after all this buildup, but um, I'm generally pretty okay with taxes. I should say that I'm of two minds about taxes. I'm generally pretty okay with the government taking my money and spending it as long as they're doing a good job, like as long as they're somewhat smart and responsible and, uh, you know, spending it on things that are good investments for the future. So, for example, having a strong public education that benefits everybody and leads to good scientific progress and having a new generation of kids who are not dumb, I think that that is an excellent way to spend money. I think like our healthcare spending is an excellent investment, but I am of two minds about it because, and and this is like, I'll admit this is hypocritical. This is straight up hypocritical, but I don't like the government taking my money. I'm fine with them <laughs> taking your money. I, sure. I 
am resentful that they take a big portion of my check. And I have to say, like, in particular, Rita is terrible. The Regional Income Tax Agency, it's it's what we have in Cleveland. They have it in, I think, a few states. Um, but interestingly, they don't have it all throughout Ohio. They have it in particular cities or particular counties, I think, actually, in Ohio. And the fact that not everybody has this tax uh, means that if you live in certain places, like not only are you taxed higher at the local level, sometimes you get taxed twice or whichever is the higher of two of two places. No, I think I think that and maybe this will be a fact check and maybe I'll be dead wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Rita is basically just an outsourcing of collecting the city's taxes. So like Cleveland Heights um, uses Rita, which means that they basically pay this private company, Rita, to to bill and collect the city's uh, tax shares. Right. To be, to be clear, though... You so, pay, like, in a city pay. that doesn't have Rita, well, yeah, you're paying a little more in taxes, but it's not an additional tax. You either pay it directly to the city or you pay it to Rita, depending on where you live. Right, but what I'll say is that if you are working in a different city than the place where you live, yep. then you're already paying taxes in the place that you're working and Rita comes around to make sure that you're paying taxes in the place that you live as well. Yeah, that was that was also a surprise to me because that, that that happened to me before as well, where I was taxed in the city, like through my paycheck, through the city that I worked in. And then like years later, because I didn't know I'd have to have to pay it, I was taxed in the city that I rented in. Uh-huh. Not that I owned a home, but that I rented in. Right. Um, for years and years of taxes. Not, it's not a property tax, an additional income tax. Yes. Right, and I want to be clear, not everywhere does this. In some places, you would only pay the tax for the place that you work. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome to Fact Check. As you may have noticed, this is Andy. Unfortunately, Nathan has a sore throat and can't talk right now, so you'll have to deal with me today. Here's the scoop. In Ohio, each municipality gets to set its own tax policies. The Regional Income Tax Agency, that's RITA, and the Central Collection Agency, CCA, are the companies which handle the bulk of this collection in Ohio. You would, of course, need to check with your personal accountant, whom we assume you have on retainer. Uh, But generally speaking, you probably get a tax credit from the municipality that you work in in order to offset the taxes collected in the municipality you live in. This isn't always the case. Again, it's very individualized. Here's some things you should know, though, to help contextualize this. Ohio ranks among the worst 10 states, based on 2019 tax statistics, for individual tax burdens. This is according to the Tax Foundation. So on the whole, it does seem that here in Ohio we pay more than average. But we're not paying twice as much as other people. Again, though, it's very individualized. It depends on where you live and where you work. So sweeping statements like that may very well not represent your situation. Let's get back to the show. 
Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. So I don't know. So so Rita really. If you're if you're asking me is taxation theft, well Rita is getting <laughs> kind of close because some other people aren't, aren't paying it. And I guess maybe that's where I feel like you know you you want the system to be like quote unquote fair. You know you want to feel like you're not being singled out to pay more than other people in your same income bracket bracket are are paying. Um, and I mean. There's a lot of different ways that taxation can be used. I think we need to be really careful about are we using taxation as a means of redistributing wealth? Are we using taxation as a means of enriching some people and having them pay less than their fair share? You know, it's like, are you are you progressively or regressively taxing? And what is the role in the government in leveling the playing field if the playing field has a tendency to naturally become unhinged on its own? So, I mean, I think that's a big question for economists. Absolutely. And you brought up a couple, like, terms that I, I just want to linger on a little bit, mm -hmm. which is progressive and regressive taxes. So... I mean, these are not it, it, that doesn't mean like forward thinking and like backwards thinking. Yeah. Um, that that means you know a progressive tax is a tax which has a heavier burden on those who have higher incomes or or a, more wealth, um, whereas and a lower percentage or lower weight for those in lower thresholds. A regressive tax. Is one is is the reverse. It has a heavier burden on the lower income, lower wealth brackets, um, and less of an impact on the higher. And this is it's when you put it that way, it sounds like barbaric, right? Like what? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, even the most staunch conservative would say, "Well, you uh, that doesn't you know you can't tax the poor people the most, right?" You're you're reducing the burden of the job creators. You need to reduce the burden of the job creators who are already taking the highest tax burden. I just got to put that out there. Yeah, if you want to find if you want to find uh, fifty Republicans that will make that argument right now, I'd point you to the U.S. Senate. I think that you can find plenty of people who are willing to say reduce the the burden on the wealthy so that they'll create jobs, but um, they're gonna have they're gonna start to try and fast talk their way through tax, you know, ta that, that, the, that those people should be taxed less than someone who is barely at the poverty line. Um, so at any rate, the point I was kind of driving at here is that there are plenty of reg regressive taxes currently on our table. For example, a, a consumption tax or sales tax, because you pay that uh, you know, say it's like 7%, no matter what you're buying, um, you know, there's that same tax. It's, and no matter how much money you make, you pay that same percent in tax. So that means that um, the the burden, the percentage of tax relative to wealth is way, way less for wealthy than for the poor. Like if you're paying a buck fifty in tax for some t-shirt, 
that's a way bigger deal for you if you make 25,000 a year than if you make 250,000 a year. Yes. So, so like I, I say that just to make the point that, um, yeah, it, it sounds wild to think like when you put it in, in a, in straight up terms, it sounds pretty 75% or more of people are going to really bulk at the idea of, Oh, well the, a less tax burden should fall on the wealthy than on the poor, but we deal with it constantly. Right. And I, I would say there's a, when we talked about this in several episodes before, there's a huge portion of the population that consistently votes against their own best interests. And they, they vote for these things so that the rich have to pay less, not not because they are rich, but because they think that someday they will be. Right, but I, I, I identify And so with that. they don't, like, when I become <laughs> a millionaire... Maybe that's part of it, but there's other reasons why they do that. And some of them have... Because they've been lied to? <laughs> I was going to say, some of them have no basis in reality, but some of them do have basis in reality. Perhaps, I mean, there's there are... There is not no economic um, like support to. Ha! Huh. Can we? All right. So let me back this up. Let me back up our story just a little bit here to um, to the eighties and the Reagan tax cuts, because at this at that time, there's so first of all, the seventies was a pretty really bad economic uh, recession. Um, a lot of people kind of forget about it because it's sort of been lost between the Great Depression and the 2001 and 2008 and 2020 <laughs> crashes that have happened. Um, and But it shouldn't get glossed over. But um, So there's this big recession going on in the 70s. Um, and so Reagan's tax cuts were a part of a plan along with some stuff that the Fed did and some other legislations that were designed to try out this supply side economics thing it was called. So the Fed basically, um, Paul Volcker was the Fed chair at the time and he he basically crashed the economy because what had been going on was this problem of stagflation. So inflation and unemployment were just sort of ratcheting each other up rather than balancing or, or, or offsetting each other. They used, they used to kind of work in inverse, but they stopped doing that and kept increasing and increasing. So you had inflation going up, but also um, unemployment rising. And so the Fed crashes the the economy intentionally to bring um, to bring the inflation way down, and then and then the Reagan tax cuts were to incentivize businesses to start rebuilding employment and start reemploying to get the economy back to full to close to full employment. And to be clear, that worked. It did what it was supposed to do. It also came with a big um, deficit problems. So, so the Reagan tax cuts actually worked. Um, and I think that's important to remember because they, at the time, I think brought it from like 90% to 60% was roughly like the drop. It was a big drop. 
then a bunch of years later, Bush Jr. comes along and does more big tax cuts for corporations. Um, the problem is that it was way too much. Then also what happened is that the, um, those co corporations turned around and started using that, those tax cuts not to increase employment, but instead to just buy up their own market shares. Um, what? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't believe that. It's not. <laughs> Uh, you can fact check it if you want. <laughs> well, right. I mean, I, I would love, I would love to hop in for a second and just say yeah. that, like, consumer spending is one of the big drivers of the economy. If you're a business that is making decisions, you're going to make decisions that are based on where you think you can invest and make more money back. You're going to buy infrastructure. You're going to go to where there are markets and serve those markets, but just the fact of having more money in your bank account does not produce those opportunities for investment, you know, that in, in a one-to-one -one ratio. So there is a right. higher incentive um, among consumer level that if you get an additional marginal dollar that a consumer is going to turn around and very likely just spend that immediately. You look at this with the uh, stimulus checks the COVID stimulus checks that we just got this year, like a huge percentage of people got these checks and then just immediately spent them on consumer goods or back rent on, or on food and clothes. And, yeah. Right. But a business, a, a business is not incentivized to just spend everything that they have in their bank account on investment. They're only going to match investment to the opportunities that come around in the market. So I just want to say that that's a big difference when we when we talk about Reagan era policies, like the way that you stimulate the economy works differently, depending on what social strata you're you're chugging this money into. Well, and like the idea that businesses in general, but the idea that businesses uh, care about like the social contract that we all agreed to where Workers are going to show up and work hard for your business and make sure that they uh, take care of the business and remain loyal and blah, 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 blah. And in exchange, you're going to take care of them. You're going to go through and you're going to make sure that you keep their pension secure and you're going to make sure that you pay them a fair wage. And that doesn't exist. Like businesses do not care about the worker anymore. You know, you make a, a, in general. a really good point that like the the context of the 1980s versus the 2000s and versus the Trump tax cuts in 2017, these are all three vastly different economies. In the span of 20 years, each jump, the economy has morphed almost unrecognizably, really. Um, and so, you know, I, I bring up this idea just to make this quick point that like the original time they did it, they did it for a specific reason and it worked because they did it within certain constraints and, and it was a certain situation that they were in at the time. Um, the Bush time was after, you know, nine 11, I believe. And I mean, okay. They were trying to stimulate the economy with, with those tax cuts. And I don't think that it was a, I would say it was like a kind of a uh, wiffle ball hit. Like, yeah, okay, some of that worked, some of that stuck, but a lot of that really did not. 
And I am really excited to get this this trickle down effect uh, that uh, we are waiting for. I'm I'm excited because I believe them. Now, when Trump did it in 2017, we did it to an economy that really, frankly, was booming. I mean, up to that point, Trump had done very little to uh, to screw up the growth that Obama had been able to cultivate. Not that it was a wildly impressive economic growth, but it was solid. And um, and the economy was looking good. And then Trump came in and did these tax cuts, which ended up just costing, um, I don't know, I think $600 billion and did jack to stimulate the economy. Um, so... Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. I'm going to go quickly because I have a lot to say here. Uh, you can check out my work in the doobly-doo. Here we go. The 1981 Reagan tax cuts never paid for themselves in economic growth. Congress started increasing taxes almost immediately in 1982, 1983, 1984, 1987, 1990, 1993. All those years saw new tax increases passed. The business tax breaks specifically were almost immediately removed from the original bill. So while it is true that unemployment didn't really start to improve until 1984, it's pretty impossible to link that to a failure of the tax cuts simply because they were gone so fast. So the plan did work to end the stagflation crisis. By the end of five years, GDP growth had gotten back to previous levels, and we have no real information on unemployment here. What we do know is that they were unsustainably expensive. George W. Bush passed tax cuts in 2001 and 2003, so you'll notice that that graph goes from 01 to 08. Not only did these tax cuts not pay for themselves, but they ballooned the national debt out of control. They ratcheted up the income and wealth inequality gaps in a major way, and they actually slowed the economic recovery after 9-11, yielding below-average economic growth from 2001 all the way through 2007. It peaked at around 4% GDP growth in 2004 before starting a slide that would culminate in the 2007-2008 crash. So two thumbs way, way up on that one. Great job, Republicans. Uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, the Trump tax cuts are the worst of the bunch. Not only have they spurred zero economic growth, but 2019 saw GDP growth tank to almost 2%, and that was before the pandemic hit. Unemployment did technically decrease during that time, but you pretty much needed a magnifying glass to be able to see it. Pretty wild here, a head-scratcher. I'm guessing that Trump must not have known that they wouldn't work, because of course he would never lie. All in all here, tax cuts for the wealthy do not spur economic growth. Tax cuts for corporations do not significantly or consistently spur employment. It's pretty much all smoke and mirrors and misplaced credit. But I'm guessing that you probably knew that, didn't you? I'm just going to let you get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. Right. Like we, and, and here, this time, it was pretty well documented as it happened that like just what you watched articles come out in real time about this company just used that money to buy up their own market shares so they owned more of the stock so they could do more of whatever they want and like right this but like this so uh, 
Is this the part of the episode where I have to, like, say this is the Republicans' fault again? <laughs> it's the Republicans, dagnabbit. So, if you did, I would have to kind of not 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 disagree that, I mean, certainly there are, but this is also a Democrats, um, Democrats have contributed to some of this problem, corporate Democrats, have helped pass a lot of legislation that helped helps big companies funnel the money back into themselves. It's the Republicans who are calling for the tax cuts and, and they should just know by now that those that's not how they work. That's not how you right, but, work. But, but the idea so the problem is I first of all, I have zero problem with you saying that the Democrats have contributed to this because of course they have. Like immensely. But also, Republicans know this doesn't work. Like when they vote for these things, it's not like they're like, oops, oh, we thought it was going to work this time. Like they know it doesn't work, but they're funneling, uh, they're funneling money to the 1%, the, to the rich people in this country. And yeah, Republicans it suck. Been, it has been a, a long time, dare I say, decades since the Republicans platform has had anything to do with the known reality around them. Fair enough. So that's yeah, done. Like that was that was my entire point. So can uh, I can I hop in with a tidbit about uh trickle down economics? So trickle down economics as a term was not coined by Republicans in favor of tax cuts. It was actually come up with as like this, I don't want to say slur, but like this uh, slight against those same tax cut policies. And like the, the phrasing was crafted by critics of those sort of oh, tax interesting. policies. Um, yeah. So when you say trickle down economics, nobody has ever said that unironically. To say, like, <laughs> no, actually, like, we we do believe it'll trickle down. Like, that's that's not a thing mm -hmm. that's ever happened. But um, but the general principles do apply, yeah. yeah. Right. I, like, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps for the same reason. <laughs> because the, the term was initially made to, like, show something that is physically and literally impossible to do. Uh -huh. And then, like, critics just picked it up and, like, ran with it because... You know, why not? <laughs> right. So on, on progressive and regressive tax, theoretically, we do have a progressive tax. Like, if you look at the numbers on the books, we are supposedly doing some of the function of, if you believe in redistributing wealth as a f part of the function of taxation and government spending, um, we are theoretically progressively taxing. The problem comes when you look at people who have the expendable income to spend thousands or millions of dollars on lawyers to look at loopholes to find exemptions and uh, deductions and things that are like business expenses or charities, all of these different ways that people avoid taxes. And I would even argue not find those things, but take advantage of loopholes that have been specifically created by millionaires and billionaires in the past by buying off politicians, by setting setting these things up 
this is not again. It's not. Uh, it's not a surprise. It's not an accident that these things exist. Right, because these loopholes were passed into law in bipartisan legislation by politicians on both sides of the aisle. That's what bipartisan means. Who have been paid to to get into office by said corporations. So, like, they look at they and and this is not like some sort of me connecting the dots or uh, um these corporate uh CEOs talk about this all the time that the way that they view political donations is as an investment, investment. for their company yeah fact check fact check and welcome back to fact check well listen we're not expert researchers okay and after a few hours of searching, we were not able to find any of the audio clips we were hoping for of CEOs actually saying in no uncertain terms that they invest in politicians and policies. Did find this delightful quote from the honorable former President Trump, however, quote, as a businessman and a very substantial donor to very important people, when you give money, they do whatever the hell you want them to do. And just since it's not necessarily clear from the quote, he was talking about buying politicians, in this case specifically Hillary Clinton, uh, and he was not referring to his sex life. In lieu of the audio clips that we were hoping for, here's a little bit of data for you. So these are the top 10 lobbying spenders in 2020. This is according to the Center for Responsive Politics, which is a nonpartisan group. So you've got at the top the National Association of Realtors, who spent $84 million, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, $81.9 million, Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, $25.9 million, American Hospital Association, $23.6 million, Blue Cross Blue Shield, $22.6 million, Facebook spent $19.6 million, the American Medical Association spent $19.5 million, Amazon spent 18.7, Nathan, that one's for you. The Business Roundtable spent 16.9 million and NCTA, the Internet and Television Association spent 15.4 million. Those are just the top 10. You may have noticed that four of those 10 are in the medical industry and two are in the big tech industry. So go right on ahead and read into that. On the other side of this issue, these are the top 10 recipients of lobby money in 2020. This is also according to the Center for Responsive Politics. Joe Biden, Democrat, $1 million, just over. Next is David Perdue, Republican, 750000 Kelly Leffler, Republican, 600000 Tom Tillis, Republican, just under 600000 Mitch McConnell, Republican, just under 600000 Kevin McCarthy, Republican, 523000 Gary Peters, Democrat, 481000 Cory Gardner, Republican, 441000 uh, John Cornyn, Republican, 386000 And Stephen Daines, Republican, 385000 So, 8 out of 10 are Republicans. Don't tell Nathan. Anyway, back to the show. Back check, That is not a good thing. That's not how you're supposed to put the money in the government. Um, right. So. This is, yeah, this is why, like, 
I hear all the time when I'm having these conversations on Facebook, like, people say, well, is what they did illegal? No, because they paid to make sure it wasn't illegal. Right. Or their grandfather did. Legal is not the same but as so right. effectively, after these loopholes, you no longer have the same sort of progressive tax. You actually have people at the top paying nothing, sometimes just getting refunds. You know, yeah. that, that they're effectively paying no federal tax or very little, like less federal tax than a working class person, which is not, it's not that theoretical progressive tax. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to fact check. Pat, the answer to your questions is yes, no, and yes. Yes, the United States on paper has a progressive federal income tax. No, the United States in actuality does not have a regressive federal income tax. But yes, again, that when you factor in state, local, sales, state, corporate, and property taxes, when you're looking at the entire tax picture, the ultra-wealthy do actually pay a lower rate than people like you and I. Let's go back to the show. Fact check, fact check, fact check. I feel like I've mentioned some of these people in previous episodes. I can't remember any of their names off the top of my head. Those are corporate taxes. We're still we're still talking about personal taxes, but yes, corporate taxes is definitely part of this conversation too. If you guys oh, want to yeah. pivot well, to corporate can, taxes. Okay, so if you if you don't mind, this seems like maybe a good time for me to bring in some history Ooh. of how this came about in uh, how the federal income tax came about in the first place. Please do. So you've you've had like through, from the beginning of the country, you've had taxes and tariffs and uh, things like that. I mean, arguably that is like one of the things that uh, caused us some trouble in our early years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we're talking about specifically an income tax, where uh, the government takes a piece of your earnings, that starts in 1862. A uh, young uh, whippersnap named uh, President Abraham Lincoln. Uh, signed the first income tax into law to pay for a little thing called the Civil War. Um, it was a rate of anywhere from 3 to 5% on anyone that had an annual income of over $800, which, believe it or not, was not a lot of people. Like, th- those people were considered pretty, pretty well off. So, in 1894, so that sets up a precedent where the federal government is allowed to take money from its citizens to, in this case, pay for the Civil War, but they will go on to do, presumably, other things. In 1894, the Supreme Court finds the income tax uh, unconstitutional. So when you hear a lot of people talk about, well, it's, it's illegal, you can't do it, it's against the Constitution, they're talking about 1894 when the Supreme Court uh, found uh, that that was the case. Mm-hmm. However, Which it was so at the time. It, Right. And if you know anybody who is is who owes taxes from 1894 to 1913, they have a genuine beef. They can go ahead and have those 1894 to 1913 taxes wiped out. But anybody after October 3rd, 1913, when we ratify the 16th Amendment are out of luck. Yeah, because pretty much makes it constitutional, doesn't it? (laughs) Right. It is. Literally part of the Constitution as of 1913. 
Um, but at this time, less than 1% of Americans, it's literally they are taxing the less than the 1% at this time. Anyone making uh, around $3,000 a year is hit with about a 1% tax, and it goes all the way up to 7% for people making over $500,000 a year. And in 1913 money, $500,000 was pretty good. That, not, that's not an, bad. That's an obscene amount of money. <laughs> yes. So, uh, from 1939 to 1943, the individual income tax changes from being this thing that only the wealthy pay to being something that everyone ships in for because of a little thing called World War II. And everybody ends up getting taxed. So, but that's that's basically how everybody came to pay the income tax. And there are a bunch of exemptions uh, from 1913 on where a very small percentage of people uh, ended up uh, being charged this income tax. But those exemptions slowly went away because we had to pay for World War One. We like these. So presidents and Congress started pulling away these exemptions little by little until you get to 1939 when they go into basically high speed and start pulling them away really fast so that they can pay for World War II. So in a real in a real sense, not just literally because technology has changed, culture has changed, society has progressed, but just in the taxation sense, do you guys think that we were better off like prior to the federal income tax and or do you think that we're better off now? Wait, did you say w- without taking into account technology? Well, I mean, if we were to return to no federal federal income tax, I assume we would probably keep today's modern technology. If we were looking at that as an option of just eliminating the federal government. You just it's just in those the I I, can I just say? Are you saying you can't make that comparison? Because that's an yeah. Answer. Can I can I just say real quick? I think the three of us as white men would do real sweet under that. Uh, <laughs> we would do just fine. Uh, everybody else, not so great. So yeah, we I mean, have, like we if wouldn't you're talk- have a standing army though. If you're talking about time traveling, yeah. If you're talking about like if we were to just up and abolish or 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 you know if if they were to repeal the thir- the the sixteenth amendment. Yeah, and there's and there and tomorrow tomorrow with today's technology we would have just no federal I think that income would tax be tomorrow. Absolutely horrible. The country would it the world the United States would become destabilized economically and we are the number one economic country in the world. Um everything would turn to China. That would not be good. There's a different question though. It's two different questions is like if we went from our current system back to the original system. Yeah, everything would be real bad. I think a separate question is what if we never implemented an income tax in the first place? Like in 1862, Abraham Lincoln needs to go to Congress and says, hey, I want to tax all our citizens so we can pay for this here civil war. And Congress gives him the right to do it. There's an alternative reality where they don't give him permission to do it, which not only makes the Civil War (laughs) go a very, very different way, but also sets up this precedent where 
future presidents can't pull from that uh, to help the war efforts in the future. And so what happens to a country that never implements, uh, like, never implements that? Like, we certainly don't go to World War II. Uh, and, and there's an argument that, that says we don't participate in World War One, or at least it never finishes. And World War II doesn't happen because of that. Well, here, here's an interesting question. What, what happens to a country that has two wars declared in a very short period of time that are never approved by Congress, that are never paid, or not, I shouldn't say never approved by Congress, n- never have their budgets approved and are never paid for, and so are 100% put on credit, and and at the same time gives out a tax cut. Ooh! Uh, well, that's, that's actually, uh, that hits a little close to home. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I did want to say, like, I think that there's, there's all these different things, like, I think if you don't, if you're not able to implement an income tax, the rights of states and the power of the individual states goes up massively and the power of your federal government like decreases immensely and maybe even goes away totally. I mean, if the, if the South is in charge, they didn't like the, the North sticking their nose in their business in the first place. The, the country is radically different. And there's an argument to be made that we never like actually are in like any real way, the United States of America, that were these individual states doing these things. The other thing that would happen is a lot of Republican states right now in today's economy are screwed because one of the things the income tax allows us to do is on a federal level, pull in taxes from every state. And like it or not, it's the blue states that pay for most of the stuff. Your, your Californias, your... Yeah, California is the fifth largest economy in the world. Right, you, but but even like New York, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, like there are these states that like do very well. And then what happens is you have other smaller states that are not doing well. Uh, Kentucky, I'm looking at you, Mitch McConnell. And we give money from the, from the large pool to these states that need it more. So people in California... They pay a ton in taxes, and they don't get back nearly what they put in. Bunch of welfare queens, I gotta say. (laughs) Right, but what happens to a country that never has that income tax, doesn't care for itself as a whole, treats itself as individuals? What happens to those states that can't pay for shit? People leave. Or they become Greece. (laughs) I think, I mean, there's a lot of other factors, and there's a lot of other ways that... you know, the country can pay for things besides an income tax. There's other forms of taxes that are, that can be effective. Tariffs is not one of them. Tariffs is a pretty large, generally considered ineffective way to, um, to actually raise money and is generally more a use as a sanction against another country. Although in a lot of cases, especially in the cases of Trump's tariffs, they end up harming American workers and consumers more than foreign ones. Right. I'm just saying I'm just saying that I, I don't think you have a country the same way we do now had the income tax not not been put in place. I don't know. Um, but I think it is kind of interesting to think about, you know, we've as a country right from our founding, we've had problems with taxes. It's kind of like one of our 
core American values, like Americans hate taxes and right. Well, without I mean, I think that without representation is the big important part of that gripe. So, are you guys ready for another hot take? Ooh, hot take. So property taxes, so they vary from where you live. Um, some places are like, I think like as low as like, they range from like five to seven, generally sort of in that range. Some places they're even lower. Um, but so it's this tax that gets applied every year. And for anyone who owns property, anyone who owns land, in, in a span of about like 20 or 30 years, you're going to wind up having paid the entire price of your of your home or your piece of land back to the government. So in what sense do you even own anything? Well, to, I guess I would come back with, well, to what degree can you own the land anyway? Like, it's not... <laughs> Yeah, you you can't like own the land, man. man. <laughs> well, right. I mean, so I, I, th this is probably like not my best take because like I do support them coming and taking the garbage. I do support them paying for education or paying for defense or healthcare or whatever. Um, but at the same time, like if I wanted to just not participate, if I wanted to just own a property out in the woods somewhere and have them just leave me alone you still can't do that. Like, they're going to come for you, the, that property tax. They'll never leave you alone. So I think I think property tax... So, um, for me, uh, I think it's actually a fairly good way to approach taxing people if you come at it in the right way. So what I would say is I think... Um, what I what I like about property taxes is if your um, if your property is worth more, you pay more. Um, I think if you construct them in a progressive model without you know loopholes, obviously, um, then I think that that's a good way to effectively raise money. However, one of the big problems with property taxes is that they are collected locally and and distributed locally so in a low income uh, uh, an area where there's low property values not much money is collected in property taxes and that it turns out is what generally is one of the biggest funders of the public education in that area which means areas with low value provide have low funding for education which means that those students are poorly educated which means that they struggle to break out of the cycle of poverty so um and we talked a bit about this in the education episode but i think yeah shout out to east cleveland right right um, east cleveland woo. right great place to live um so um if if the property taxes are collected and then somehow pooled and distributed in a again progressive way areas that need more get more areas that don't need as much don't get as much um I think that that is a pretty fair way to do taxes um, because, you know, you're choosing where you want to live based on what you can afford and you factor in your, your taxes along with that. I think that that's 
that seems reasonable to me. If I'm going to pay taxes, I find that to be one of the, the least troubling ways to do it. If it were if it were done correctly, which to be very clear is very much not the case right now, but I think that property taxes would be an opportunity to do taxation in a more fair way. <laughs> As we talked about in the education episode, not only are we doing things unconstitutionally here in Ohio, mm-hmm. but we've also like thrown our hands up and said like we don't know what to do. <laughs> we, we told you this was unconstitutional. So this is actually so total. Th- this is a conversation for a different episode because it has to do with the Supreme Court and stuff. But the when a court rules something, especially like the Supreme Court, they don't have like a police force or anything. There's no department of enforcement of judicial rulings. Like it's just, everyone just sort of has to take them at their word. But I argue that they certainly, they certainly do have an armed enforcement and it's called the police. No, the, but the, the, I'm saying that the court has no way of, of sending the police out to enforce their, their ruling. Um, that's all done through the executive branch. Those police forces and stuff are all run through executive branches, not judicial departments. Not sure. So, so like they don't have that. You, uh, they don't have that force. They don't have any military like what anything. Um, so if they, for example, the courts in Ohio rule that the way that schools are funded is unconstitutional and the localities just decide to do it anyway, then that's kind of what just happens. And that is what happened. Right. They, they break the law. They, they can go out and break the law as much as they well, want. And they have been doing so for decades and nobody has done anything to stop them. So like, that is so, true. Yeah, I guess. so Andy's Andy's hot take is uh, weaponize the Supreme Court. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that, but I, um, <laughs> All you right. know. Anyway, ooh, hot take. So there's something that I really, I've been looking for a good way to bring up on the podcast and, and see if you guys know what you know about it and, and talk to you guys about it and talk to the listeners about. And I think that this is a really, really good opportunity. So I want to ask you, um, do either of you know what MMT is, modern monetary theory? Are you, are you sure you're not talking about multi-level marketing? Like, I don't want to buy your LuLaRoe. Well... I think if you tried it, you would want to buy it, but that's not what I'm trying to do right now. I'm a pa- I'm a pampered chef. I man. wanted you to ask what what MMT was without explaining it, so I could say, well, like I mean, that's a little harder than anything that I've tried, but um, you know, I'm willing. <laughs> that's DMT. Uh, <laughs> close, <laughs> also fun. Um, anyway, all right. <clears throat> so yeah, a date a date once left me tied up for a day because of that. That's BDSM. It was so awkward when mom came home. <laughs> oh. But you did explain what MMT is. Anyway, MMT? So MMT, Modern Monetary Theory. So um, do you know, you, you've heard, you know traditional economics? You've heard of traditional economics? <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. yes. Um, <laughs> right. So you've got like, there's there's the two like kind of main schools of, schools of thought. There's the Keynesian school, which um, has to do with basically government spending and taxation. 
um, fiscal policy to to balance um, to balance inflation with unemployment. So um, if unemployment goes is is going up, people are losing jobs, then the government will spend more to bring un, to bring unemployment down. But that results in inflation going up. So then the government. Uh, so then you know you need to um, tax money back to bring the inflation down, which brings money out. So that's kind of the traditional model, the Keynesian model, right? Um, there's the monetary school, which is Milton Friedman school, which says basically that, um, inflation and employment and stuff is actually all really boils down to how much money is out in the, in the system, how much money is out there. If, if, um, you need to increase the value of the dollar, you, you take, you suck money out of the system by, uh, by raising interest rates at the fed and, and making less people borrow money. And if you need to uh, heat up the economy, you do it by lowering interest rates to, to get more people to borrow money, to inject money into the market. Oh man, I know we're not making a banking episode, but man, the Fed is like, the Fed has a really interesting history and it's not what people think it is. We 100% will do an episode on the Fed. I 101% support that all right then <laughs> uh so anyway all right those are the kind of the two traditional ways of looking at economics and all both of them kind of basically involved this idea of like you tax people to pay for the government expenditures um what the you know the fiscal programs that the government runs are paid for by taxing people right that's the that's the the paradigm that we all kind of view economics through. Agreed? Sure. Sure. So you know that picture of like where if you look at it one way, it's a vase. And if you look at it a different way, it's two guys, two faces looking at each other. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's called a negative space. Yeah. Well, I, I like hot lady, old lady. Is that the one you're talking about? That's a little different, but, but related. Same, but that same concept where if you shift your focus and look at it a little bit differently, um, you see a whole different picture. So that's what I'm going to kind of try and do for you guys right now. So I hope that you are in your cars and buckled up for safety um, with a bike helmet you, on. So, <laughs> you're... <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, let's do it. Um, all right. Modern monetary theory is this kind of newish thing. It's um, where... We're going to just flip all that on our head. In the modern age, in a modern economy, in a fiat-based economy, right? We are not on a gold standard or a silver standard. We use fiat money, which is fluid and intangible and hard to pin down. Sure. And it's not backed by precious metals. It's backed by faith in the United States government. Sure, which has done pretty well for us, but, um, like, it is kind of smoke and mirrors. You know what I'm saying? In a sense, but here's the thing. So, modern monetary theory sort of, like, leans into that, where this is just, it's 
it's just money. It's just a click of a button on a computer. It's adding some zeros. You can flood money into the into the system. The government can basically not. I don't want to say the word print money because that's not. It's not printing paper money. But the government can just create money from nothing. They could do that. They can pay for whatever programs they want. They could pay for universal health care, UBI. Uh, they could pay for gold toilets for every American. They could pay for ponies for every person <laughs> as uh, vermin supreme. There's there's good reasons that we don't do that, though. Well, so, but they might not be. Um, so, w- go ahead. Why Why don't we do that? So, the reason that we don't do that is because of hyperinflation, you see this in, like, the breakdown of governments in, like, small third world countries or, like, post-World War One Germany where um, Deutsche Marks were basically worth less than kindling, so you would just use them to start a fire. Yes. I mean, just a few, yeah, just a few years ago, Zimbabweans had to carry... Wheelbarrows full of cash to the store to buy like state like nothing big like a loaf of bread or some rice or whatever like right and that's yeah that's it's bad the result, it's that's real the bad. result of just taking um we can print money whenever we want to be a blank check to go ahead and do that so okay that first of all you that you gave the exact right answer um you have walked right into my trap um, sure <laughs> um but I, I say jokingly but. Um, so, but that is exactly what the concern is supposed to be, right? Oh, well, if you just start creating money willy nilly, like a 18 year old who just moved out and realized that they can just order pizza every night for dinner if they want on a credit card, you have to specify, you have to specify on a credit card or else it doesn't doesn't work sure 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 so so like you're just you're just describing college for most right. people um but you understand like that that doesn't that's not a sustainable thing right so understood um what modern so what modern monetary theory says is first of all this only really applies to uh governments that fit certain criteria one of which is that they uh, have their own currency. So, for example, uh, like Greece can't do this because they use the euro. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have their own currency. Um, right. But the UK theoretically fits that bill. The US does. Um, Canada, I, I believe, does fit uh, meet that requirement. Um, the There's another requirement, which is basically debt-to-GDP ratio, where... If you owe more, you know, to more than what your country can produce reasonably, then, um, then this doesn't work. And so that's why you, that is exactly why Zimbabwe and Venezuela and these other countries, they can't do that. It doesn't work for them. They're, they're in mountains of debt to bigger nations. And, and because of that, their currency is tied up with other countries' currencies. And so it, it throws a wrench in that whole system. So, so to be clear, this is not something that every country can, this is not an approach that every country can adopt. However, should, say, a country like the United States choose to kind of adopt this approach, which, if we're 
I think that there's sort of a way to look at the Biden proposal that has the, that has happened, the uh, the infrastructure economic stimulus, and the fact that there's more to come, as possibly that they some of his economic team is taking this approach. So I don't know. Think you can think about it, but if we were to to do this, we can fight that inflation by taxes. That's what taxes can do. Taxes can suck the money back out of the economy, thereby maintaining or, or, or um, fighting inflation and keeping prices relatively stable. Furthermore, I think it's very telling that especially since the 2008 bailouts, Obama's big, big bailouts, which were unprecedentedly huge at the time and have been comically dwarfed by the coronavirus relief so far, we have not seen a big problem of inflation in the United States after these huge injections of money. After the Trump tax cuts, which was a $600 billion um, essentially injection of cash into the economy, although it ended up just sort of sitting in a... But that's actually part of why it, it did... The, that money didn't circulate. So that money did not cause any inflation to happen. It just went into a company's bank account and basically kind of floated around in there. So, you know, there are a lot of tools for fighting inflation, and I would argue that if we collectively as a country, if we were to kind of lean into this sort of thing, and I don't know that it would be um, kind of a big ask for Americans, but whatever, maybe one day we'll get there. Um, if we were to lean into this thing and, and we were to adopt this sort of approach, right, um, I, you know, with the understanding that you have a system set up where you're going to, these are the social, these are the programs that we want. These are the things we want governments to pay for. So from social programs to military budgets, to space exploration, to whatever, um, these are the things that we want the government to fund. Here's how much it's going to cost. Fine. Write the check. Let's do it. And then at the back end, we keep an eye on, we measure the, the, um, the inflation rate in the economy and we have a back-end automated calculation process that says, okay, here's how much money basically we need to suck out of the economy to bring to, to keep the inflation where we want it. 60% is going to go to the top 2%. 30% is going to go to the middle, whatever. And you just divvy it up and everybody pays their share and it's very transparent and it's very, this is how it works. We, this, we get everything. We all have everything that we want. And then we pay for it, and that's fine. But it flips the idea of you have to fund government spending by charging taxes on its head. Well, so if I can push back on that just a little bit, in just our lifetimes, like, if you think about dollars that are from the 90s, those dollars are worth about 160% of what they are today. You remember going to the store and there were things that actually cost a dollar or or some amount of cents under a sure. dollar? Like, that literally just barely exists anymore. You can't find something that costs a dollar or less anymore. You even go to the vending machine and buy a soda, and it's like, what, like a dollar twenty-five or something? Like From 1990 to 2020, so in the last 30 years, 
Only once has the inflation rate risen above 5%, and only one more time in 1991 was it over 4%. Almost the entire time it's been between 2 and 4%, which is where it's supposed to be. It has also dropped a couple of times in, in 2009 and in 2015. But like, so, uh, you know, just at a quick glance here, inflation has been fairly steady and at a healthy rate over that 30-year span that you're talking about. So yes, things cost more. Absolutely. But there's supposed to be some inf- inflation. Right, but there's even like a better example than the dollar and it's the penny. The first elimination of the Penny Act that was introduced was in 1990. And there's literally nothing that you can like interact with in the country outside of I think Illinois that like the penny doesn't interact with anything. You don't need it. Um, you can't literally can't buy anything with it. I think the only reason you can use it in Illinois, and my information comes from a quote from a West Wing episode from like 25 years ago. So for the love of God, do not quote me on this. But they allowed you to use it in toll stops in Illinois because it's the state where Lincoln was born. I mean, you can. Wow. Okay. Can, they are still legal tender, but like. Yeah, okay. But they're not they're not worth they're, not they're literally worth nothing. But it's fine. Yeah. What's the problem with that? So we, I mean, there's really nothing wrong with taking the penny out of circulation, really. We don't use yeah. physical currency that much anymore in the uh, anyway. When we think about like our money, we think about the number on on our app on our phone. Most people don't have shoeboxes of money of cash stashed at, at home unless they're involved in in unsavory activities. Um, like, we just don't... We're moving away from cash anyway. Um, and the United... So, I think... what? Well, anyway. <laughs> I, th- I So, I really geek out about this because I think that this is... Um, I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense given the, the modernization of markets and of money and, and how we understand it, of world markets. Um, and... The fact that we already use fiat money, why not take advantage of that by and, and now to be clear, because you you are absolutely right, that does not just mean oh just spend on everything. Oh, every American gets a tank. Blank like, right. No, definitely not. Absolutely not. Um, you know, you, you they still we still need to have a responsible government, but it means we're going to, hey, let's invest in this program. We want to invest in an arts program. Okay, great. Um, we know that, first of all, any those sorts of programs are going to result in more economic growth. If you're dependent, you know, right. if you're investing in people, if you're investing in small businesses or um, or arts programs or science research, these are things that produce way, way more for the economy 10, 20, 30 years down the line anyway. Absolutely. And you can look at return on investment for like a number of different industries and ways to spend this money. And in some ways, it makes more sense to spend it because the return on investment is so high compared to other possible things you'd spend it on. For example, giving tax breaks to the rich. That's not great. This is a great pivot to the next subject that I wanted to talk about, which is government spending federal state local government spending i 
begrudgingly will say, okay, you can take my money, but I... But never my freedom? I would love if you spent it on good investments of the future. I am really unhappy if you take it and go do stupid shit with it. And the, the example that I'll give is like oil subsidies. So oil companies are private entities. They're already profitable. They, they have their own research and development that they spend to go and find new sources of oil. But it, it's already profitable. They already do fine. Why is the federal government spending on subsidies for them? You know, if, it, if you're going to turn around and spend my money on stupid shit, then I'm really going to be very unhappy that you have taxed me. Can I say that, like, these are things from a bygone era? So in the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even 80s, these were really even the 90s. These were these were actually really big investment programs that can bring in a lot of money, uh, help, you know, with, with in terms of both trade and in industry and, and manufacturing. But now they're just used to getting them. Right. Like it's, it's not like they would suffer under losing these sort of subsidies or tax breaks. Right. Um, we, we have well, a system. And then, they, and then they pay back and they pay back a small portion of those subsidies back to the politicians that made it possible in the first place. And it becomes a, like a self-sustaining thing that never gets it never gets looked at again. We don't like think about, oh, maybe wind power or solar power would be a better place to put that money. It's just what we've always done. We have a system of corporate welfare where we'll say, like, if you're going to go into an area that we're going to give you a bunch of tax breaks in order to be in that area, like our city wants Amazon to come to our city. So we're going to forgive them like nearly all of the taxes just for showing up or, or because they think that the jobs will then help spur the economy in the city and make up for it. Sure. But the problem is that the jobs don't pay well enough for those people to actually really increase their spending. All they do is pay well enough to get them off welfare, which actually ends up lowering their income. So, yeah. And it does. Yeah. They've done studies that show like that at best they end up breaking even and virtually always end up losing money on their right. deals. In, in an absolute sense, you're not generating any extra money like by doing that. You are deciding to take Amazon from somewhere else that they would have been to your city, but all you've done is move things around like you haven't created anything right yeah uh it's pretty terrible i don't like amazon we give subsidies for like hiring of certain like if you can generate a certain number of jobs we will pay subsidies for that um and that's that's less disagreeable but it's still questionable if those if those jobs are not good quality right don't forget also the i mean some of them most important investment programs, um, including things, you know, like bombing Syria, um, sure. f- helping fund civil wars and regime changes in other countries. Sure, sure. I mean, like, that's an investment in... Um, Ourselves? I don't know, actually. We, we should talk <laughs> about foreign aid, although foreign aid is a really tiny 
rounding error in the federal budget, but I still think that it's useful to talk about. Like, is it that little? It's it's pretty small. I have stuff to say on on other stuff, but I do want to say the best thing about foreign aid is it fights terrorism. Like beginning beginning and end of list. Like if people have places to live and food to eat, they're less likely to become terrorists. Right. I'm not I'm not gonna get on a, a soapbox and hit you with like a bunch of problems with foreign aid. Um but I do think that like, you know, we we probably should not have starting starving people in our own country. Like as a as a Agreed. baseline. Or anywhere. As a baseline before <laughs> before we start on foreign aid. But like yeah. sure, foreign aid, whatever. What you guys have said uh, has generated an idea that I've been thinking about for a while. And the idea is, well, first of all, and we really haven't talked about this before, I think taxes are good. I think, uh, in general, it's it's good that we have to pay taxes and things they pay for are generally good. Having said that, I don't think all taxes are good, and I don't think everything they pay for is good. Uh, there's a... Um, the, the one exception of people who think taxes are illegal or at least immoral so they don't pay for them is I know a, a few Quakers that do not pay their taxes because they don't believe in violence in any way. And if their taxes are going to be used to harm other people, they will not pay them. And if that eventually means they go to jail, that's something they're willing to do in exchange for living their values. But basically... They, they just don't pay their taxes because a portion of those taxes are going to go toward the, towards the military-industrial complex is going to kill people, and they don't believe in that. That's, that's something, maybe I agree with it, maybe, maybe I don't, but I think that is an intellectually honest reason to do it, and I can get behind those sure, people. What about, what about like NSA spying? Like I don't really want to be paying for that. Especially when it's like not approved by Congress, it's like a it's a small subset of Congress that approves like secret programs to spy on all Americans. What about the drug wars and modern day slavery? Yeah, I mean, I'd rather not be paying for those things. Sure. So if I could choose, if I could choose what my taxes go towards, I would probably check those off, like like X those out. Can I tell you my own my my little hot take for this episode? Ooh, hot take. I don't, I don't really see why that's so unreasonable of a proposition to have well, to, to like, have your taxes paid to, for the things that you want. Well, to to sort to have a certain degree of like opt in, opt out, like a checkbox. Yeah, I'm gonna pay the like. Like stuff, some stuff is is you don't get to opt out. Like the social, um, like uh, social investment programs. Like oh, so the things that you like are off limits, but the things that other people I like. Think, no, are well, not. no, the things that are the things that. So, but but there's other things where I think like, hey, look, if you have, I think it's perfectly reasonable for a person to have a moral objection to like war and instruments of war and death and destruction and the and doesn't want to pay taxes. For that to happen, I think that that's a reasonable thing to opt out of. And if everybody wants to opt out of that, then great. We have a country who doesn't want to go to war. Like, that's cool with me, too. You know what I mean? So uh, it's not like just some absurd shrug offable thing to me. I think there's some real possibility in there. Right. I'm not shrugging it off at all. I don't know that I agree with you. I think you, you, 
you can't you can't pick and choose like that because it doesn't it doesn't work. There's I don't want to pay for the military. I like I would like a significantly less amount of my uh, taxes to go towards the police department in my community, for example. But you don't get to like you don't get to make those choices because you you need the things you need and your community needs the things that it needs and you don't get to make those choices. This is this is part of the extortion power of taxation is that you don't get that choice. And like really like we rebelled against England by saying like no taxation without representation. But if you're really not represented well, like if none of the people in Congress are the people that you think represent your interests, like you're almost there. So what I would say is like if I'm if I'm following real quick if I if if I'm following even my the modern monetary theory idea right where um, the taxes are basically just determined as a proportion based on your income bracket uh, and based on how much money is needed to be taxed to to keep the economy you know in a reasonable inflation rate. Um, well, then at that point, why don't we just sort of have people say, okay, like I'm. I'm going to, you, you pay your fair share. You're, you're going to, I'm going to pay a thousand dollars in taxes, but I'm going to have all thousand dollars go into these investment programs and none go to the military or like, I mean, and again, to be clear, I'm not saying that I'm proposing this. I'm saying that I think that there's a neat idea there that might be worth thinking about some more. That's all I'm saying. Sure. What? So can I, I have an idea and I think it, is along the same lines as like giving money to the uh, fossil fuel industry and to the oil industry and the coal and things like that and how that doesn't really make any sense anymore. I think we've made arguments about whether being taxed at all or not makes sense or not in this episode. I don't think anybody thinks that our taxes are spent wisely. For like, and you might disagree where they're not spent unwisely or whatever, but like, we basically get into these like huge loops of how our money is spent, and they're just spent that way forever. I would love for committees to go back to the drawing board and look at what are we spending money on? Does this make sense? Does that not make sense? And use science and <laughs> like logic and data to make those decisions. There's no place. In I don't room. care. Right. I don't care if your religious book says that you don't want this to happen. And I'm not saying that I disagree with your right to have a religious book. I just ha disagree with your right to make governmental decisions based on that book. And so, like, and go back to the drawing board on a regular basis and say, all right, this is, this is what's making sense. Like, maybe every, like, five, maybe even every ten years. Do it, like, <laughs> do it on, like, the off five years of the census or something. And look at like are we are we getting the right return in, on investment on the things we're investing in? Because we we aren't. We clearly aren't. Well, for one thing, we're scared shitless that if we don't buy like the next four football field long aircraft carrier that China is going to invade somebody in the South China Sea or something, you know. Right. But I would also argue we're, we're not afraid of that. What we are is we are in a position where congressmen are having that 
boat built in their district or that weapon system built in their district. And they are pushing for that thing to be built, not because it's good for American foreign policy or good for the military or, I guess, Navy, obviously, but not that it's good for the Navy, but because it's good for their own pocketbook and will get them reelected. And we need to take away those sort of incentives. And to be fair, China is eyeing that that island in the South China Sea, like to invade it. Like they are watching, you know. Right. No. Yeah. What I was what I was going to say is that the the congressmen, the Congress people, they want to have that ship built in their district to block the view of the yacht they're having built for themselves behind it. <laughs> So I do think that we we want to sort of bring this one in for a landing soon, but um, is there anything that you guys want to like wrap up as like a thesis statement for your your position on taxes? And I guess that applies to me too. Not exactly, but I did want to touch on just one other quick topic, which yeah, is please. Um, something that came up before we started recording, but I think really needs to kind of just make it into this episode. We'll toss some some evidence into the doobly-doo for you, but a government is not the same as a household. A government budget does not work the same way as a household budget works. God, you're never going to f- let me live that down, are you? <laughs> when people use the household budget example to try to come to come at like government spending, they are very dishonestly misrepresenting that either they have bought into a lie or they're lying to you. It's a, it's a bad faith yeah, argument. It's a bad faith argument. It's um, go check out a few of the articles in the doobly do. I won't spend any more time on it here, but just, you know, be equipped to debunk that one because it really needs to stop spreading around because it leads to a lot of uh, insincere austerity um, virtue signaling uh, um, from conservatives, which needs to end because they don't know what they're talking about. And I love it when these right. like, conservatives and they they always love to oh those lefties they don't know anything about the e- economics. Let me explain economics. They're so condescending about it. And like <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't think anybody, no one understands economics, least of all economists. So like, just try and. Be as open-minded as you can when it comes to economics and don't just go shutting people down. Um, just do the research and verify what if what they're saying is backed by data. That's what matters. Right. I, I, I know that we're we're gonna have some economists that are very angry at that statement. <laughs> I actually doubt it. I think I find that most um, scientists are very humble, especially about their own field. Right. I would say like it's it's all about knowing what an economist can do and can't do. And what they can't do is predict the future. And I think that's what like is expected out of them a lot where like, well, you you see what you said, like, no, I'm talking in generalities. No. And mostly an economist, like if you were to ask an economist really, like what do they do? It's mostly studying the past, not predicting the future. Right. And I would say, if you guys are on Facebook and you see Andy uh, private messaging you about buying some Herbalife from him, ignore him. <laughs> he is he is, does not have his or your best interests at heart. Listen, I'm just saying that I have been working out with Herbalife and it has been nope. transformative. I'm kidding. Uh, actually, <laughs> uh, I have been working out and I do sometimes use 
protein shakes, but I don't necessarily endorse it. But we are looking for sponsors, so Herbalife, call me, baby. Yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> or, or whatever the Amazon version is. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard, but I've started selling a new product called Precious Moments. Precious Moments. Ooh. How much are they? Mm. They're free. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the first one is. I was gonna say my 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 thesis on the whole thing is uh, leave leave me and my little log cabin in Montana alone. <laughs> Montana is beautiful. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, but yeah, precious moments. Uh, I have a precious moment. Please. So, you guys like pasta? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. There's a new pasta shape. What? Yeah, so this guy, apparently this podcaster, he has been working on his... So his podcast is called The Sporkful, and, <laughs> which is a that great That doesn't name. sound... Yeah, it's great, but also, like, doesn't, like, fill me with confidence. <laughs> right. Well, he's definitely not a chef. He's not a... He's just a podcaster, like us. He's been, he worked on this for like years, trying to find a company to work with, to produce it and stuff. Um, he finally made it. It's called um, Cascatelli. It looks like a bridge. I'm looking at it right now. It's it's kind of like ravioli if you took the center part out. I was thinking it looks like kind of a mini lasagna that's like folded up on the sides and then curved like a comma. Yeah, it's a curvy comma is what I was going to say. Or a, like maybe a... Jay. Yeah, it's like a little candy cane. So it was designed to have so um part of the the thinking behind it is it's got a few different like texture parts to it. It's got wavy a wavy part, it's got flat part, um, which is supposed to A help kind of catch and absorb um sauce efficiently, and B is supposed to provide an interesting chew. Um, you know, like as you, uh, I believe what you're talking about is mouthfeel. The mouthfeel, right? <laughs> the the guy described it as um, he said that when you have like a bowl of spaghetti or something, it's the same texture. It just it it eats the same all the way through. This is supposed to be an interest an interesting bite every bite. So anyway, new pasta out there. It catches sauce in that, like, little concave area. Yeah. Like, scoop sauce. Cascatelli. It's it's produced by Svog- Svoglini. Um, that is definitely, like, a fake, like, Italian-sounding name, right? Like, so, it, <laughs> um, I forget what it means now, but, uh... Small J. No, I don't know. It means, oh, waterfalls. It's Italian for waterfalls. Oh, Nice. Which is kind of what it looks Cascade, like. Cascade, Cascatelli. Yeah, Cascatelli. So it's Italian. That's what they named it, though. They came up with that name, you know. So um, it was chosen by them. Uh, it's not a, you know, it's a Planet name. Money, did this deserve a 24-minute episode? This new type of pasta? <laughs> I think it was an interesting episode, but... Um, Apparently this is what they do now. It, they they talked about... They, they went into a lot of other stuff about uh, throughout the process. Buy stock in this new pasta. It's going places. This is what we need to do. Guys, this is what we need to start doing. We need to invent a thing. Like, 
this is how we get supplemental income. I've been saying we, we should invent a superhero. That's not a thing. I mean, to sell to like Marvel? Is that what you're thinking? No, to be our 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 mascot or whatever. Oh, actually, like we do need a mascot, and I wanted to propose that we get like a like an anime uh, mascot. If, if somebody if somebody wants to draw our dead horse as an anime character, I'm all for it. Stop. So my precious moment for this week, um, I came across this on my dash, and no disrespect to these guys because I actually want to check them out, but because I've lost control of my life, Rugrats Pod. It's a podcast in which two mid-30s schlubs talk about Rugrats, a show for babies, among other things. Screens from current apps, some posts, new every Sunday at 7. I came across this in my Twitter, because I have a lot of like podcast networking stuff going on on the Twitter. And it's the most original thing that I've ever seen. I'm very curious, so I have to check them out. And it's a reference to one of my favorite memes, um, because I've lost control of my life. So there's an episode of Rugrats where Stu at like three in the morning is up stirring pudding for Angelica and Dee, Dee comes in and she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm making pudding. She's like, it's 3 a.m. Like, why are you making pudding? And he, Stu's like, because I've lost control of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and, and it's become like a meme is like panels with that. And uh, one of the funniest bits of that show. So I'm very curious. It's very out there. I've never heard a pod idea that is quite as original. So I'm excited to check them out. And I'm not knocking their concept at all. I'm actually excited to give them a listen. So uh, so your, <laughs> your precious moment is so weird. Because let me tell you what my precious moment is. I've been listening to a podcast uh, that goes through and talks about episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Huh. And I've been doing that, like, for the last couple of weeks, and it's been, like, really helpful. Because I've seen the show, what, like, eight or ten times by now, so I know all the really? episodes. Wow. Yeah. I, nah, I don't have any show that I've seen eight or nine times. Oh, yeah. I love, I love me some TNG. But, like, the thing about Star Trek The Next Generation is... It was garbage. <laughs> like, it was so bad for the first several seasons. And really? so these guys are oh, yeah. interesting because they're both uh, TV producers. And so it's interesting watching them, like, listen to the episodes and say, man, you could have built so much suspense if you just, like, had this character do this. Or, like, talking about how women in this show that's supposed to be, like, a post-scarcity society where we don't have to deal with the, the isms and hate and things like that are, like, treated as these, like, props for the first several uh, seasons. It's it's crazy. <laughs> it's, just been, it's just been really nice. So so th- I thought that TNG was beloved. I thought, like, um, you know, uh, Captain Picard, Riker, Worf, Data. Like, I thought this was a very iconic cast. And I thought that this was a really beloved show. You're telling me the first couple of seasons were garbage. Garbage. Gar- garbage. They In are all fairness, Pat, I mean, the original series with uh, Shatner and Leonard Nimoy was like one of the worst <laughs> TV shows ever made. It is so bad. And like, it's, it's iconic too. That's part of what makes it iconic. 
Well, and what I'll say is, like, you had in the first couple of seasons, even into the third season, you have mostly bad episodes and then these moments of genius from time to time. And every episode, even the bad ones, are still, like, have, like, a, a nugget of genius or just, like, interesting character development or stuff like that. And the thing is, I love it. I love it so much that, like, even the bad episodes I still love. I've never been more convinced that Star Trek fans, Trekkies, are victims of Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> so what I will say is this podcast is called <laughs> this podcast is called The Greatest Generation, which I also <laughs> love the name of. <laughs> also, funny. they they share the hashtag greatest gen, or at least did I'm listening to stuff years back, but they share, share the hashtag greatest gen on Twitter. So like there's all these like veterans and stuff who will like jump on their hashtag to like <laughs> it's like it's sort of sad and sort of funny and, and nice so um but i am listening to episodes the stuff i'm listening to now they recorded four or five years ago because they recorded all of star trek the next generation the wild thing is star trek the next generation i feel weird saying the full name star trek the next generation over and over again so i think i'll switch to tng uh they had, like, 26 episodes a season. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's crazy how many episodes they have. All those, all the Star Wars shows were, like, 20-some episodes. I will, I will come after you with a knife. What? Uh, star, you just said all those Star Wars shows. Oh, God. <laughs> all those Star Trek shows. All those Star there Trek shows go. had 20-some season episodes. Oh, Voyager, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving that out. I'm not cutting so, it out of the episode. Everybody's going to know your mistake. Everybody but, no, set they, their phasers to kill. <laughs> they they did TN, they did TNG, and uh, then apparently uh, they watched all of DS9, and uh, now yes. they're watching through Voyager. Um, and so it's just very interesting. I, I think they've forbidden themselves from watching Enterprise because uh what a steaming pile it is, but I mean who knows. Do they ever say do they ever say turn your phasers to kill? I feel like all I've ever heard is set phasers to stun. I Right. I don't think they say it exactly like that, but yeah. They've they've definitely they've definitely done it. Uh Riker has definitely uh ashed up some uh there's there's one like lady who's like 120 years old who's trying to kill people from her clan, and uh, he just turned her into mist because the lower settings didn't do anything to her. We can talk about hey if you guys want to hop on the uh, beat a dead source discussion group, uh, we can talk about TNG all you want. Um, but in the meantime, I would just so, say real before we before we close up just because. I, I want to get in on. I have a I have a latest podcast crush as well that I just want to throw out. There okay, so you guys in. Uh, real quick, it's this podcast called Congressional Dish, hosted by Jen Briney. And this woman, first of all, she reads every word of every legislation that gets passed in Congress, or at least I'm not. I mean, she goes hardcore. She reads everything and then talks about it for like two or three hours at a time Andy. and cites everything, and it is amazing. And I am. A major geek. Andy, how was my precious moment a Star Trek podcast and you still out-geeked me so hard? <laughs> because it's unbelievable. Geek. Um, but also, also DS9 is the superior series. I disagree, but we can have that discussion. 
That will do a whole episode on that. Ducat did nothing wrong. Oh my Anyways. gosh. Anyway, right. <laughs> uh, you stopped me from saying it once. I really need to come up with a catchphrase. I hope we gave you something to think about this week. Okay, love you, bye. Wait, I got to take a long breath. Wait, I, I, I let it out. Alright. Bye! Cisco is the best captain. The Ferengi episodes are the best. Yeah, so I've never seen Star Trek. I saw the old movies. I think I saw all the old movies. There's like seven of them, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a whole bunch. There's, um, I think five or six of the original series cast movies. Yeah, they were not so good. They were they were okay. Some of them were pretty good. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the show today. If you liked what you heard and want to talk with us a little bit about it, hop over to our Facebook page or our Twitter account and share your thoughts. If you're looking for a way to support the show and are looking to do so for free, which we highly encourage, please share this episode with a friend or two. Maybe post it on your social media sites. Um, Maybe make a personalized recommendation to a friend or a family member. These are all things that help grow our listenership, and in turn, that helps support the show. Now, if you do have some money and would like to give to the show to help support it that way, we, of course, would very much like that. In fact, we ultimately would like to fund this show through the through you, the listeners, because you're the ones who we want to work for. We don't want to be working for Google or Facebook or Amazon or any other podcast hosting or other corporate sponsors because we don't want them to have any say on what we talk about and how we talk about it. So in order to do that, we really rely on donations from you, from the listeners. So if you're interested, check out our Patreon page. You can find a link in the doobly-doo, and on there you're going to find that there are a number of different levels that you can sign up for, depending on whatever your means are. And by doing that, you really help keep us independent and keep us honest. So we really appreciate you taking the time to support the show in whatever way you can. No obligation to spend a penny on us. But if you do feel like you get value from what we have to offer, then it sure would be appreciated. With that said, again... We especially love hearing back from our fans, so if you liked what you heard, let us know. So, yeah, I was counting down from five. Oh, sorry. Hey, Andy, could you count down from five? <laughs> you dick. Yeah, I just <laughs> fart real quick. There we go. Clear the pipes out. Hey, you know who's going to have to edit this later? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is like I'm just like dooming myself. Yeah. I hope I hope you smell my fart when you're editing later.